everyone. I'm Mark, and uh, we are beginning a new series this evening called Unreasonably Loved, a.k.a. Unresolved. That's right. And uh, this series actually has these parallel uh, tracks that are, that are progressing uh, and taking us, hopefully, on a journey toward Good Friday, which we'll be having a Good Friday uh, gathering here uh, the Friday before Easter. And then uh, hopefully out of that, preparing us to really celebrate on Easter. Uh, I have a, I've had a burden uh, for a couple of years now with just uh, the smallness of uh, most evangelicals' view of the gospel. Uh, a lot of people view the gospel, people who are New Testament Christians or 21st century Christians, they look at the gospel and they instantly think uh, like a method of persuasion or did you get saved or uh, something like that. And, and the gospel absolutely uh, is about the cross and it's about the resurrection. But I think when we limit it to that, our gospel is too small and we can't appreciate the depth of the love that, that the cross represents and the, the celebration which the, the resurrection um, uh, uh, is. And, and really... What I want us to do in this series is to take a, a step back and to open up our hearts and minds to the larger picture, to the larger gospel, to the, the good news as it was told to our spiritual ancestors, that, that the good news was actually first given to Adam and Eve at the point of betrayal when they were being removed from the garden and God spoke into them and said, even though you have, have chosen your own selfish desires, you've elevated your own selfish desires over a relationship with me and that, that we have been severed, that relationship has been severed, that there, I'm going to make a way. And at this point, I make you a promise, Eve, that through your womb, a Messiah, a, a, a Savior will come. And we see this, this good news, this promise of restoration again and again through the Old Testament. But so many of us that we, we pick up with our faith at the birth of Christ. Now again, Christ is essential uh, to our faith, but Christ is also the resolution to the uh, unmerited, the, the unreasonable love that God has for each and every one of us. And my hope through this series is that maybe we won't have a practical application for how we're meant to interact in school tomorrow or at work. But my, my hope is that we can really this year feel the weight of the cross in a much larger sense than we ever have before. That, that by going through this series that, that we will have the context of, of what it must have been like for our spiritual ancestors and the elation that the, the promised Messiah had finally come. Now, our springboard kind of scripture for this is found in Hebrews 11. 
And you may want to open up your Bibles to Hebrew 11 or on the fridge fold, uh, it's there. But in Hebrews 11, there's two uh, kind of sections of the, of the verse that we are going to look at. And the first point is in direct reference to our, our spiritual ancestors, to, to Eve and, and to David and to Abraham and to Moses and to Rahab and Ruth and, and all these spiritual giants that, that we have read about. And the, the verse picks up here and says, all these people, all our spiritual ancestors, earned a good reputation because of their faith. Now check this next part out. This is the basis for the series. Yet, none of them received all that God had promised. I mean, think about that. Think about these people who are held up as, as examples of, of faith. These, these women and men throughout history who exemplified what it meant to relentlessly pursue a relationship with God. And not that they did it perfectly, but they did it in a way that, that should be a model and, and a, a marker for all of us. But even though they, they relentlessly pursued God, they did not receive the promise. The promise that was originally given to Eve. The promise that was given to Noah and, and Abraham and Moses and David. The promise of, of a Messiah who was going to come and, and free them from the law of death. And give them the path to eternal relationship with God. This is especially tough because promises are sacred. You want to destroy a relationship? The fastest way to destroy a relationship is to break promises. No one uh, holds a higher kind of sense of, of promise than my, my daughter Madison. That, that she, uh, she holds a promise, either explicit or implicit, as a, a contractual bound that can never be broken under any circumstance, not even death. Right? That she, she, she holds it in such a, a high regard that, that, that if she perceives a promise that she is going to... to really hold you to it. In fact, this all came to a head several years ago where she um, felt that something was promised in a certain timeline and her mother and I had to go to her and explain to her that due to circumstances outside of our control that this thing that she felt we promised her was not going to happen when she thought it was going to happen. Well, at that point ensued a, a kind of a, a wrath of biblical proportions. <laughs> and I, I, I got to tell you, I was thinking about this this morning, that, that Pharaoh and the Egyptians had nothing with their ten plagues compared to what her mother and I were about to experience. In fact, I was thinking that, that 
you know what? If God would have delivered the unborn spirit of the scored Madison to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, that they would not have needed those ten plagues, that they would have built limousines and, and escorted the Israelites to the promised land. She, uh, she was very upset. And after listening to this for quite some time, I finally came to a point of frustration. This is the point where I do my best parenting. <laughs> and I finally looked at my sweet daughter, and I took her by the shoulders, and I looked her in the eye, and I said, Look at me, oh daughter of mine. <laughs> On this day, I give ye a promise. And this is the promise. I promise you from this point on, I will never promise you anything ever again. From this point, that this promise cannot be unbroken, changed, or mutated. That it will go until eternity. Thus saith your father. <laughs> and I believe it or not, it's totally radically changed. Something in her mind that made sense to her. So now, many times when she starts getting on this you promised track, I'm like, ah, remember. Remember my ultimate promise that can never be changed. I can't do anything about it. <laughs> and it's been it, it's 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 been this 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 source of actual health in a weird way, but also source of of it just kind of shows the the magnitude of, of a perceived promise or a real promise once broken, it, it erodes and destroys our relationship. And this is why. This unresolved, these unresolved promises of the patriarchs and the matriarchs of, of our faith, our ancestors of our faith, that, that, that they went and they lived their whole life without the resolution of the promise that God had give, given them. But they still relentlessly pursued their relationship and I think it's important, the second part of this Hebrews verse. For God had something better in mind for us, the New Testament Christians, so that they, that we, or they would not reach perfection without us. Can you imagine a promise, a love that is so big, so large, so encompassing that it cannot be contained in a single generation. I mean, think about it. God could have very easily brought the Messiah right at the point of the fall of Adam and Eve. God could have brought the Messiah to Noah and those people. Could have brought him to Abraham or Moses or David. But God had something much greater in mind. 
that his promise was not for just a person or a generation, and not even just the people of Israel, but his promise of a unreasonable love was all-encompassing for all who wanted to experience what it once again meant to be fully human, to live out the vision that he had for his life, an unbuffered relationship with our Creator. So as we're going through this, this series that we're going to be looking at some of some of these Old Testament prophecies and, and, and promises and looking how they, they resolved in the New Testament. And my hope is through this that our, our, our understanding and view of the gospel will become larger, but we'll also understand the magnitude and the patience and the size of God's love for each and every one of us. So in 1 Chronicles, we find our first promise. It's in uh, chapter 17 in verses 11 through 14. And this is God speaking to David. He says, For when you die and join your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house a temple for me. And I will secure his favor for him forever, his throne forever. And, and I will be his father and he will be my son. I will never take my favor from him as I took it from the one who ruled before you, who was Saul. And then verse 14. Listen to this because we're going to go back to this. I will confirm him as king over my house and my kingdom for all time. And his throne will be secure forever. Now, a couple of points uh, in this promise. One, it's interesting just kind of the, the, the magnitude of this pro promise to David. Remember, David had heard all the stories. David knew about the promise to Adam and Eve. He knew about the promise to Abraham and, and Moses. He knew about, about these unresolved promises. And then finally, God coming to him and saying, Guess what, David? That these promises are going to be resolved, not in you, but in one of your sons. And how... Magnificent and exciting that must have been. The other thing that I find interesting is that his next son Solomon built a temple. I wonder if he thought he was it. That if he thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to build a temple, a physical temple, and I'm going to be the Messiah of the people. And how misreading that promise must have led to a lot of discipline. But here we have, have the promise. And then it comes to resolution in the New Testament. And the, one of the first people to hear about it was a young girl named Mary. And this again, a young Jewish girl who knew all the stories. Not only did she know all the stories up to David, but she knew David's story and all the, all the following stories. So when an angel came to her, 
And she said, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now last week, Pastor Dan talked about Yahweh and how that's the all-encompassing creator God, creator and sustainer of all things. Well, the name Jesus means Yahweh's Savior, Yahweh's Messiah. So you can imagine if you were Mary and knowing all of these promises, all of these unresolved promises up to that point and hearing, whoa, you want me to name him what? You want me to name him Jesus? And then the angel continues, he will be very great and he will be called the son of the most high. <coughs> and then I want you to listen to this next part. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David. And he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Remember verse 14 in 1 Chronicles? I will confirm him as king over my house and my kingdom for all time. And his throne will be secure forever. Just how amazing that connection must have been to hear from the angel as a messenger of God and saying, you know that promise that was given to David that, that the Messiah was going to come from him? Guess what? The time is now and you are that person who is going to bring Jesus. Yahweh's Save the Savior from Yahweh into the world. It gets even better in, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1 through 7. This is what I call, uh, for most of us, a skip over passage. Right? You know the passages when you're reading it and going like, this has nothing to do with me. Well, this is one of those that, that there's actually, it's the genealogy of Jesus. That, that it's a bunch of begots, so-and-so begot this person, and this person begot that person. And a lot of times, be honest, right? We start reading that and we're like, Phew. let's get on to the next part. Let's get, on, let's get on to the meat of the situation. But unfortunately, when we do that, when we don't take the time to marinate in the Word of God, sometimes we miss something. And... Uh, and, and this is one of those instances that we miss the magnitude of the connection that, Ma that Matthew is making with, with Jesus and the covenant that was made with David. You see, there was an ancient uh, Hebrew tradition uh, in literature, and it was called Gematria. Gematria. And... and what it would do was it would use the, the ancient Hebrew alphabet, which had no consonants, which Pastor Dan talked about last week. And it also did not have a, a number system like we know. In fact, they would use letters. And what he was doing was he was using a play on, on the 14 generations of, of, uh, of the, the patriarchs and the matriarchs leading up to Jesus. 
And this is going to be kind of difficult, all right? But I'm going to need you to stick with me because at the end, you're all going to go, oh, I promise. You may not do it externally, but, but this is really good. So what he did was he took these 14 generations and he broke them up into three segments. The first segment was four generations. And, and that was from uh, Abraham to David. The next section was six generations. And that was from Solomon to uh, the Babylonian exile. And then the last four, which would total 14, was from the Babylonian exile all the way up to Joseph. Now, what's really cool here is, is four, the number four in the ancient Hebrew language is D. And the next, and six, the number six in the ancient Hebrew language is V. And then four again is D. D. Thank you. So, what does that spell? DVD. Now, David or uh, Matthew here is not predicting the digital video disc. That's not what he's doing here. DVD in the Hebrew language without the vowels is David. And here in this in this genealogy that that we we have this Hebrew play on words and and gematria being used. To, to echo and, and pronounce the fulfillment of the promise that was given to David in the person of Jesus Christ. Ah, all right. <laughs> Maybe you'll get it. <laughs> I'm a geek. I think that's so cool. And this is why the Hebrew writer in 1.5... Um, in wrote this, for God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. And here the writer of Hebrews is quoting David in Psalm 2.5 You are my son today I have become your father God also said I will be his father and he will be my son. And then Luke in Acts continues this narrative, continues this connection between David and, and Jesus in the time of the birth of the New Testament church. And he quotes David when he says, I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life, and you will fill me with your joy of your presence. Again, quoting David of this, this, this prophecy that, that his son is going to come. That an, that, that an offspring, a descendant of David is going to come and he is going to be the Messiah. Yahweh saves Jesus. And that 
He will never die, but be raised up and live forever. And Luke continues on here. And he says, Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried and is in a tomb, is still here among us. But he was a prophet. And he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection, which will be celebrated on Easter. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses to this. And then he continues in verse thir or chapter 13, verse 23. And it is one of King, King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. I believe that if we took the time that we could fill volumes of books with the, the weaving of the gospel between the story of Israel and the life, the birth and the life of Jesus and the, and the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And by doing so, our gospel will expand. It will become greater. And by understanding a greater gospel, understanding a great, greater, the greater magnitude of the good news of God, that we will understand more and more about how unreasonably loved we are by our Creator. And I got one more thing for you guys that's so cool. In Revelation chapter 22, John's quoting the, the uh, living Jesus here, the post-resurrected Jesus. And he says, I, Jesus have sent my angels to give you this message for the churches. The churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. You catch that? What Jesus is saying here? That I am the source of David. I am the source of the promise that was given to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to Moses, and to David. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am God. But not only am I the source of the promise, but I am also the promise itself. And I am the heir to the throne. And you no longer have to wait. You no longer need to be bound by the law. But now you have the opportunity, the resolution of the promise. That you can go straight to your creator without mediation. Without fear of rejection. And our king will lift up our heads in approval and say, I accept you and I love you and let's fellowship together. You guys pray.
God, thank you for having a, a love that spans more than a lifetime, more than a generation, but generations. Through people and time and space. That your love cannot be contained. And that you have done everything you can to make a way for us. God, let us realize how loved we are. How unreasonably loved we are by you. And even though we have turned our back and betrayed and taken you for granted sometimes, that you are still there offering restoration, forgiveness, and acceptance. We love you, Lord Jesus.